are live. What, Josh, you already cutting me off? What? No. You look like no. you're going to say something. I feel like John didn't fade the music as delicately as Duncan sometimes does. <laughs> All right, he's a felon. He's, he's a felon. Take it easy. No, he's, he's, he's going to kill it tonight. I'm not worried. All right, we, we are so excited. What perfect timing. We have Skylar Olson on. Skylar is the chief economist from Zillow. I asked her to raise my Zestimate before the, before we went live. She declined. She doesn't have that sort of power. But we are we are really, truly excited to have you here. Thank you, Skylar. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. You know, one of our senior leaders, uh, Christina, is a big fan of yours. So this hopefully will be even a good surprise for her. You know, oh. I don't even know she's expecting this. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Welcome to the show. Yeah. So, so, all right, this has been quite a housing market from 2020 to 21 to we're on the other side of all of that and, and, and rates are shooting up. So how do you describe the state of the using U.S. housing market today on October 3rd, 2022? Oh, dude, this, oh, today. Um, oh, you can start, on. you can rewind. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way that I've described this whole experience, you know, it used to be like, oh man, this is my moment. I've been studying housing for 10 years. It's like the Economist Super Bowl, you know, this is prime time. Um, to go on for, you know, over two and a half years is, is definitely a thing. Um, this moment is so different from the beginning. We're at a, a major transition point, I guess, high level. How would I characterize this day to day? You know, we are going through, um, you know, a pretty significant rebalancing, you know, back to what normal might mean. And that's going to be a, a rocky path uh, to get to that new kind of stable, steady state. You know, higher mortgage rates are absolutely putting the squeeze on, on new buyers um, and even sellers, you know, are pulling back their new listings. So it's a changing market. Do you have any pity for the sellers who basically could have just made up a price, threw it out there into the universe and had a bidding war an hour later and closed that night? Like if you really were serious about selling your home, basically you sold it. Are we, are we on yeah. the same page there? Yeah, I mean, you know, in the, when interest rates were down at, yeah, 3%, yeah, when, when we had the leverage of a lifetime, um, you know, it, it was truly a seller's market because it was a no-brainer to be a buyer. You know, if it's no-brainer to be a buyer, then, you know, you've got buyers rushing in and, and trying to, you know, almost at any price because low rates and a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, that insulates you from those higher prices. So you're willing to do it as long as rates, you know, stay low. So as soon as rates came back up, yeah, things are slowing down really quickly. I guess from a seller perspective, it's it's kind of hard because it's a little bit like, well, I mean, yes, prices are you know slowing down and in some places they're falling, but as a seller, you know, you're likely still sitting on two years worth of record home price appreciation. So I don't feel, you know, I still feel like you know they they got the home equity, they've got the wiggle room, you know, it to still sell if they wanted. I guess as soon as you're a seller and a buyer at the same time, yeah, I have a little bit more sympathy. And I think that's the challenge is that a lot of sellers are buyers. And if they don't, if they can't, you know, access that lower interest rate or access that affordability for their next home, they're not going to be able to sell this one. And then that's the re reinforcing problem we're in right now. It's incredible uh, how quickly we went from 2021, the latter half, an environment where people couldn't afford the down payment, but they could afford the mortgage. If you could, if you could get the down payment to now, yeah. now both the mortgage and the down payment are unaffordable. I think to help aid this conversation, it helps to, to bring some charts into the mix. So we pulled a few from yeah. your website, John chart on please. Yeah, cool. So what are we looking at here, Skylar? Yeah. So right here, you know, I'm paying attention to this uh, so much. So this is not just home value, right? 
built into this guy is, you know, how price, you know, prices are changing too, but more importantly, how are the, how is the mortgage rate changing? And I want you to notice a couple of things on this graph. One, notice that huge upswing at the beginning of the year. So that's mortgage rates going from around, you know, just above 3% all the way above 5% in just a matter of four months. That's an incredible, incredible impact to the mortgage payment. Um, so that's going to hit, boom, affordability right away. But then from that moment, notice, oh yeah, and then this actually- So Skylar, I, I made this, sorry to, to just jump in here real quick. The top, yeah. the top pane is showing the change in interest rates. So it went yeah. from- you know, seven uh, from three to seven, so that's four hundred basis points. But the percent change on a year-over-year -year basis, the bottom pane, thirty the thirty year just doubled and then some in the last yeah. twelve months. This is so far outside the yeah. realm of normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was honestly, you know, that first change over those first four months. That's the big impact to the housing market. That's the inspiration to slow down. You know, and and that's you know supply pulling back. Uh, you know, sellers. Uh, feeling interest rate lock-in, less willing to put their own home on the market for sale because, yeah, demand is falling back like crazy. But that that graph that you were showing with the mortgage payment, not just the upswing, after the upswing, then what happened from there was this, just up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. You it's know, not you giving it, it's it, not giving anything back. Yeah, and that's that's mortgage rate volatility. That's now swings of 20, 50 basis points, you know, on a weekly you know, it'd be weekly. We saw that right? today with, <clears throat> with mortgage that? with mortgage rates pulling back from 7% down to 6.6 six or wherever they closed. Yeah, 6.7, I think now. Pretty that's close that, to that. That's that price stability we've been promised. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's not, it turns out it's not stable at all. And, you know, especially because that mortgage rate just, it just matters so much. And if I'm already pushed up against an affordability problem because of, you know, prices, then what that amounts to is like a, for a lot of buyers, that's, I qualify. I don't qualify. I qualify. I don't qualify. How do you plan, you know, in that environment? So a lot, of, I think a lot of buyers right now, you know, sellers are, are thinking to themselves, like, am I waiting for six months? Am I moving forward? And that's a weird spot to be in because six months from now, I don't, you know, it's a really, I don't know that I can tell you that mortgage rates are going to be lower. I mean, financial markets, we can talk about that. They seem to think that they will be, you know, some, some people seem to think we'll drift back down more than back up, but, you know, it's I, so uncertain now. I have a very, I have a very ignorant, stupid question as somebody sure. that really doesn't understand the housing market very well, but does understand what the problems are. Sure. Okay. So that's my premise about myself. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So from my understanding, one of the biggest problems with the economy is really high shelter costs, rent yeah. specifically, but just sure. in general, that is factoring heavily into um, PCE, which the Fed looks at, and CPI, yeah. which every normal person not working at the Fed looks at. But either way, like that's one of the things keeping inflation high. If you jack mortgage rates up to 7% and introduce an ocean of uncertainty, how the hell is anyone going to build more homes to alleviate that upward pricing pressure on rents? Aren't, yeah. aren't they working against their own interests? Why wouldn't they raise interest rates but then introduce a, a mechanism to cap mortgage rates so that at least people have an incentive to keep building? Or is that a dumb question and it doesn't work that way? Please, oh, no, help, help me figure this out. I really yeah, don't yeah. get it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So one, absolutely not a dumb question. And just the fact that one mortgage rates are, you know, it's, it's something set in the financial market and financial markets are super tricky and squirrely and absolutely impacted by Fed activity right now. And there are a lot of options. So let's see. So this whole, like, honestly, I think interest rates had to come up because that violent pro-home price appreciation over the course of the pandemic had everything to do with, um, you know, the leverage of a lifetime, super, super low interest rates um, that made people rush in, you know, and, and that kind of home price appreciation with that kind of low interest rate, it did turn home buying into winning the lottery, you know, and, and that's a really unsafe place, I guess, for housing markets to be, right? Housing, buying a home traditionally and for, you know, stability and financial markets and our own, it should be this like, uh, this play for financial stability, you fixing your monthly payment, I get, you know, I offset, uh, some, you know, I get some appreciating asset. Uh, I got some leverage that's been, you know, federally insured, which is super nice. Um, but all of that is a little bit more about stability and steady wealth growth. This cycle that we're in is violent. So yeah, you're right. I totally do worry because now I'm in this situation where it's not just new, you know, such as existing homeowners that are suffering from higher rates. You know, I, they don't want to move their home or move to the next home, right? So they're just going to stay in this thing for much longer and that's bringing available new supply down. But it's also builders, you know, after the last global financial crisis, builders, you know, it, the building environment, new construction just changed entirely, right? It used to be the case that they would be able to block these projects up. You know, they could find the labor, right? They'd move the labor around, you know, materials they'd move around and boom, 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 getting these jobs done. You know, after the global financial crisis, they lost a lot of workers, you know, new construction really got pinched. And so now in this environment and now supply chain havoc, right? Like during the pandemic, so builders, the way they get these projects done is they carry debt, right? They have to wait on projects while they move, you know, the guys from this project to this one. They wait. So, for okay, so we're going to sabotage. We're going to sabotage new building if yeah. we make that debt unreasonable for builders right. to want to carry to start their next project, yeah. right? So it's like we've got these long run needs, fundamental yeah. long run needs. This is a cycle around that. That's really killing the incentive to keep building. Skylar, let me ask. Let me ask you this: I, I, uh, Mortgage applications are down forty something percent from their highs. Am I being hyperbolic and asking? Could this be a total washout where we fall eighty percent or so? Because sellers are anchored to what they could have gotten six months yeah. ago, and yeah. the math just doesn't work anymore for the buyers. And also for sellers, they that that are locked into a three percent mortgage. Where are they going? They can't afford to go anywhere. Right. Right. And what we're talking about now, what you just talked about is this tension between prices and volumes, prices and sales. Right, so where so does like, that mean? Well, let's say prices come down. Well, my problem right now is about discouraged buyers, right? If prices come down, I'm less discouraged, right? I'll, I'll you know, re-enter the market and then, you know, sales will, will be able to pick back up. But if sales, if prices don't come down, then I still have this affordability challenge. I'm, you know, locked in, uh, you know. And so if buyers and sellers both strike, if buyers and sellers both strike, where it do prices happen. go? It can't happen. Well, that's just it. That's the prices have to break because you know? because people inevitably will have to sell. And also demographics. There's 70 million people like me that that need to get into a house or, or I don't know if it's 70 million, but that's the number of people my age. And oh, we're yeah. in home, we're in prime, prime home buying years. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We have plenty of needs. And um, yeah, we absolutely. And one of the ways to think about it is, look, sales are 20% down from pre-pandemic. 
So are new listings. Supply pulls back, demand pulls back. What happens to prices? It kind of stabilizes through this. So it's kind of, I guess a good phrase would be like, nationally speaking, this might be a little bit more like buying at the beginning of the plateau than say the top of a market. But that said, if mortgage rates keep doing, if they, you know, that's just it. If they, if they go back up to seven and they stay there, it's going to be a bit more of a, a different picture. You know, I'm, uh, I think prices might have to correct more just to, to get people to re-enter. So it I is wanna, that balance and tension between price, mortgages, and volumes. Yeah. I, I want to back up a little bit, Skylar. Um, so you are, uh, I guess, the chief economist of Zillow, but I know it's, <laughs> what's the actual title? Give, give me chief like Chief economist, the, yeah. Oh, it is? Chief okay, economist. all right. So you're, yeah. so, okay. So you're talking to people in the marketplace all the time, and they must yeah. be curious about trends that sure. you're seeing amongst, uh, Zillow is the largest real estate site uh, in the country, sure. maybe in the world. Yeah. Um, you guys, it's basically like a two-sided thing for the for the consumer. It's like yeah. the best data, the most up-to-date on all the houses and apartments in the country. And then for the pro, it's like um, brokers working in a specific area could find yeah. new potential customers. Okay, yeah. so you see yeah. everything. And yeah. uh, you, know, you, you guys have the data on like what people yeah. are really doing and looking for. Yeah. So, um, what have you talked about publicly that is like a new development this year in terms of the usage of the site or what people are looking for or, you know, how people are thinking about housing in general from either a consumer or a professional standpoint? Yeah, sure. Oh, interesting question. I mean, I think some things won't be too surprising to folks like, you know, the desire to um, tour virtually or experience homes remotely um, is sure. still very alive and well, even as we move further away from the pandemic. It, it kind of feels a little bit like that expectation has just permanently changed, right? I should be able to just experience this unit more from afar uh, without having to come and, and, you know, interact in person or whatever else. So that's one of the bigger changes. Um, it might not be, well, maybe it is surprising or maybe it isn't. As you might imagine, in the beginning of the pandemic, if I looked at a map of any major metropolitan area, um, I would see the most by far, by far the most housing market pressure kind of out in the exurban ring, you know, kind of farther away from downtown is like remote work provided that opportunity to live further and, you know, save on commute costs. Um, today, that's way more balanced, way more balanced um, across okay. a major metropolitan area. Um, it really depends on where you are if, you know, it's so there's interest again, closer to closer to cities like that's yeah, it's normalized. Or, it's normalizing. Yeah, normalize, and it might have a little bit more to do with the fact that it's just normalizing than yeah. you know we're all rushing back to downtown, right? No. It's just like at least that pressure on the burbs is, has come back off with you know the higher interest rates. So that's certainly a thing. Um, right now, we are starting to see more pressure in affordable units. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, you know, as affordability becomes. The biggest challenge we're seeing um, top tier homes slow down uh, faster, more in terms of their price growth than uh, more affordable homes on that lower tier. Um, so, so even even all cash buyers are pulling back because what once was a eight million dollar house in this economy is no longer worth eight million dollars. Yeah, and I think there is an expectation that prices will start to soften. So, if you're a cash buyer and you're, you know, the purpose of your purchase is for the opportunity of, you know, catching home value growth, I think you are recognizing that that's that's no longer the now moment. You know, like for a buyer, if you're a buyer buyer, like you're trying to set down roots, right? And you're making this long run 
financial decision. For that person that's getting a mortgage, you know, it matters that rents are also growing. It matters that stocks are also not doing very well. So even though it's not clear and apparent that buying a home right now is going to win the lottery like it did when interest rates right. were three, it's still a you know very viable financial decision if I find the good match and I stay. Not a very good financially viable decision right now to flip a home very quickly, right? right. You'll you'll just flip it into the soft market. So um, the the demand from cash buyers I think is pulling back a bit. Or to but, buy something that you can't afford, it's also not a good market yeah. to reach. Like yeah. you could reach in 2020 and 2021 and you know, the market was forgiving, kind of. Yeah. I mean, now your payments went sure. up if you have an adjustable, but this is not a reaching sure. market right now. So Yeah, we, we are seeing the share of uh, purchases or applications that are adjustable rate mortgages, of course, come up a lot as people have this intuition that like, oh, I have a six now or I have a 6.5, but, you know, perhaps in a year, two years, I might be able to refinance down to five again, you know? So we are starting to see people trying to, play with that like how can i access more affordability with a lower rate now with the assumption i can refinance later or um, i'll be ma i'll be making more money in two years that's like when i used to go clothes clothes shopping and i would like buy a size down like oh well i'm on a diet so like yeah. i don't want i don't want to get clothes that are too big obviously yeah, yeah, yeah I, well, get I also I remember get doing that as a much younger professional too just being like yes. oh yeah at the prime beginning of my life of course i will make so much more money one day and then you know, you, you will or you won't. Hey, uh, Skylar, personal question. I yeah. I bought a condo in South Florida at the top okay. of the market in November. Should I kill myself with a knife or a gun? Um, how was Hurricane Ian to your, your property? You do okay? uh, it's not built yet, so that okay. hasn't had a chance to completely upend my life, but I'm hoping for the next yeah. one. You know, what I'm do I do? How I'm bad should I feel about my no, no, like? No, I'm going to come for you. Texas is, or excuse me, Florida is super weird of all the metropolitan areas. Um, That's why I'm where, going. You know how normally when I was, so I would tell you, hey, where are home prices going to fall the most? We run correlations to figure out where they drop in the most now. It's absolutely the most affordability strained markets. That includes Texas uh, metro areas like Miami. And yet you're still, they were, there's plenty of home price pressure right now, even in this in this moment. Um, I think there's going to be a pause because of the hurricane and, and some of those, you know, the, the Western Florida markets where they were most impacted by the fall. It'll, it'll just like go for a pause. I feel like That's, you're telling me that I'm actually smart is what you're saying. I'm surprised by Florida sometimes, you know, it's like <laughs> the sun is real. I, I don't know. You know, there's, it's clearly got an appeal. It's I think the sun appeal. bakes people's brains. I, I thought that you were going to say the part of the uh, country that we were seeing uh, housing pressure was like the Boise's of the world, like where you saw a lot of like the tech spillovers to Austin and things like that. But those are slowing down a lot. Boise is slowing down one of the fastest. And I, and I can't I believe it. That didn't have legs. People don't want to live there. That's crazy. No, I think they just, I think, think of the sushi. Than... Wait, yeah. what? All right. We, so that was easy to see coming, but I don't think the pricing in those markets in like, like everyone's going to live in Whitefish, Montana for the rest yeah. of their lives. Like I think everyone knows no one's going to do that, but I don't think that trend, maybe you know better. I don't think that trend was as big of a trend as we thought it was. Yeah. I think like the New York Times got excited about it because yeah. urbane, sophisticated people were leaving San Francisco and doing something adventurous. So it was like a really great story for newspapers. I, I'm not convinced that like millions of people really did that, but maybe I'm wrong. What What do you think really happened there? Yeah, you know, I think there was, so 
one, you know, so, okay, the news cycle first starts about Boise way back when, right? Beginning of the pandemic. And of course, you know, as an economist, so I just go straight to the population growth numbers. And I'm like, how long has Boise been hot? Like, we just, it's just, maybe it hasn't been on radar because it was, you know, smaller. Because Austin had been on our radar forever. You know, right. like, oh, Austin's so hot. Where, what is this Boise thing? <laughs> um, and no, uh, you know, Boise just wasn't on our radar because it was, I think just out of the top 50 largest metropolitan areas, because yeah. when you look at the population growth data, it was growing for a while. So I think it will keep some of that growth, right? I think there were relocations that were related to like previously hot, you know, sharing some of this. That just accelerated like, like Nashville, <laughs> like, like Austin. Yeah. Yeah. But, I get that. But that, that, I mean, I really can't overstate, just the benefit of a low, low rate for a 30 year fixed rate mortgage and its ability to just absorb those price increases in a way that really wouldn't impact the buyer too much, you know, because it spreads it out on a full 30 year fix and at, you know, mortgage rates below 3%, that's super cheap leverage. I mean, it does the work for you, you know? Um, so it, as long as interest rates were low, those large home price gains could be absorbed. And as soon as, mortgage rates came back up. They just, they can't persist. I want to ask you about some of the headlines that we are inevitably going to see. We actually got one today. So John, let's throw please this Zillow home value index. So, all right. Pri prices are up 40% yeah. nationwide uh, versus pre-pandemic, yes. but you're going to start to see some month over month numbers that look really yeah. gnarly. In fact, yeah. Bloomberg published one today from Black Knight Inc. Yeah. Uh, showing yeah. uh, pretty hysterically Home price drops in July and August rivaled levels reached in the great financial crisis. Can you please sure. provide some much needed context for the really bad headlines that we're going to see over the yeah. coming months? And we named the video after this headline. So let's all just be respectful of me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let me, I guess, let me soften the relationship between what's happening now and the global financial crisis. Please, so please. We, we mentioned earlier that this is, or I mentioned earlier, this is about discouraged buyers, right? And affordability challenges. Last, the global financial crisis was about distressed sellers. It was about foreclosures and, um, you know, really losing the ability to hold on to your property when you went through, you know, any kind of job loss. It was about, and, and that was about excessive egregious credit, right? So many people getting access to a mortgage because of really very little underwriting standards and document, you know, income documentation or any of that kind of thing. So that when we did go through, you know, the great, the global financial crisis, the great recession, you know, these kinds of things, that kind of job loss, ooh, it hit us hard. And we had snowballing uh, price fall because of all the distressed sellers, lots of inventory coming on the market. This time around, we are absolutely seeing prices go soft. We're seeing current uh, negative year over year numbers, but we're also seeing inventory unable to rise. Um, Meaning what? Meaning what? They won't build. They won't what build. What does what what a lack of inventory rising mean? It just means that we keep more of that competitive pressure on. So yeah, demand is falling back um, because of you know higher interest rates. But if supply does that too, then the competition on the homes that are available just balances out a little more. We are, by the way, seeing much less competition. It'll be much more sane. You know, buyers won't have to waive financing and expansion contingencies. You know, for most products, some products might still be you know very competitive uh, if it's really rare or something. But for the most part, you really don't have to do that. It's so much less competitive. 
But imagine if you, if we had, you know, inventory returning or if we had foreclosures and we just don't expect that. Dodd-Frank, you know, the, the law that got passed in 2000, you know, after the global financial crisis in uh, 2012, or maybe it was 11 when it actually passed, in order to, you know, not go through that again, <laughs> to, for that to never happen again. Yeah will actually help it's making it so we do not expect foreclosures you know the people that had that got recent mortgages they had, there were high standards both in credit score income documentation what it took to become a home buyer was really a lot a lot more strict and that means people you know won't really experience the same kind of foreclosures distress selling that we had last time which means prices will be more preserved they will go soft you know i, I think that's uh, clear, in, especially in really unaffordable metros, um, but they might not, you know, I, I don't know that I can promise someone that, you know, affordability are, is going to be resolved next year uh, at the national level. Just so because. I thought, I thought that the, that the floor was relatively high on how much prices could fall given the demographic tailwind. I yeah. thought that at 5%, at 7%, I'm not so sure. Well, that's just it. It's, and I think that's what makes it so hard to forecast at this time is because I can, we can do a thing and we can think about it and we can watch it happen. But, you know, the monetary policy right now, you know, what is the Fed doing and buying and selling treasuries and what are they doing in the Fed funds rate? And then, or, you know, buying and selling mortgage back securities too. So they're doing all these things in response to inflation, in response to pressure in the labor market. And all those things are always changing and we're watching it. They always... So the Fed is constantly threatening to change policy or update policy or even to keep going, you know, at the policy they've currently announced. And um, all of it changed. It, as we saw last week, things can change uh, very quickly. Hey, um, we, know you're, we know you're not a, a Fed watcher per se, but what did you think of the Fed buying uh, billions of dollars? I don't know if it was 30 or I can't remember the number of mortgage bonds in, in, in 2000. Of, I'm sorry, in March of this year. Oh, in March of this year, just buying... Just you mean to, in order to keep their balance? Just generally course. speaking, did you think that, that w w was that was that insanity overblown, or did you think that there was good rationale behind? He what did. They were he, doing? he did. He did. He uh, did twenty months, I think. Yeah. Of, yeah. So or we, twenty-two months. So they were. So they were acting as if buying. we were still in an emergency yeah. when home prices were up forty percent. Yeah. Yeah. One. Maybe let me just say, like, this is super hard to do, and I do not envy the Fed their job at this moment like this. I am watching the, actually I'm watching the Fed like crazy, doing a lot of Fed watch. Um, I think at that time it was very, very, very clear that the economy needed liquidity needs in order to keep going. I think we can debate about whether or not it should have come at monetary policy, which by its definition is untargeted. It's just like, you know, burn all the market, you know, all the markets revved up, investment, housing markets, anything that was related to debt, right? Anything that's related to debt, if you're pumping liquidity into the market like the Fed did, you're heating that up, right? And that's untargeted support. I think the you know good argument that they had needs to do that, but it became pretty clear that that liquidity was having a big cost, and that's inflation, and that's particularly costly for lower income households to the extent that you know as soon as that momentum picked up. In inflation, it became clear that it'd be it'd be pretty hard to bring it back down again. As the numbers that dropped last week show, you know, the month over month growth and the PCE core inflation number that the Fed likes, that month over month still annualizes to seven percent. That's way above target of two percent. So inflation is stubborn. So, so but now, don't... yeah, it has to. It requires a violent correction. I guess the but the, que the question is if the Fed is going to use the housing market vis-a-vis 
um, the transmission mechanism of lowering yeah. lowering the cost of mortgages. Right? If they're gonna if they're gonna use that as one of their tools, which I don't yeah, have a problem. I don't. I mean, what's the difference yeah. anymore? I don't have a problem with that. So they're gonna all right. So they're gonna do that. So then you get home price appreciation after one year of that of twenty yeah. something percent. You get record high home prices in every region of the country. Case Shiller all time high. Sure. Um, yeah. at, like at, why do they wait for an emergency before saying, you know what? Maybe it's not appropriate to buy $35 billion worth of mortgage bonds sure. that, yeah. A, there are plenty of other yeah. buyers besides us if we step yeah. away. It's not yeah, like so, – So the housing market was going 100 miles an hour and yeah. their foot was still on the pedal. That, so yeah. that's what we're, we're trying to this understand, is, like what could have been the logic behind that? Yeah, the, the logic I think that, that falls behind that debate usually is who's full employment, right? So, okay. so the Fed is like pumping in money until we get to full Real, employment. Realtors right? full employment. Well, but it's like, who's? Okay, so like right now when we talk about why is the Fed moving back, it's, well, yeah, labor markets are totally tight. They absolutely are totally tight. We've got twice as many job openings than we have unemployed. That's a tight labor market. That's inflationary. Okay, right? Like that's why they're pulling back. But labor is tight when there are lots of jobs and when there's not a lot of, you know, unemployed looking for work. So where else are the unemployed? Well, they're just not participating in the labor market, right? Um you know, so I have low unemployment rate, right? But I still don't have a lot of people returning. So I think the idea was at the time, well, we still need this heat. We still need this support because not everybody is back, right? We've got a tight job market and that's a signal about inflation. But when you look at like employment versus pre-pandemic, like we only just got back to that level. You know what I mean? So it's, there were still needs, and I, in some ways, there still are. Right? We just can't do it this way. We I guess uh, so I agree way. with that. I guess the right. I guess the question is yeah. not whether or not there are still needs. Yeah. It's that maybe at a certain point, the Fed uh, looks at Congress and says, "Your turn." Yes. Um, Congress has acted a lot. They've done a lot. They did a lot in twenty one. They probably did more than they should have. But like yeah. the more, I guess the mortgage bond buying part specifically yeah. is more offensive intellectually than the treasury yeah. bond buying part. Yeah. So I guess that's what Michael and I are, I, I, are and you can tell about. they're struggling. You can tell they're struggling a little bit with what to do because, you know, when they talk about unwinding the balance sheet, you can see the US Treasury balance come down and the mortgage backed security balance doesn't really it's right. Crazy. They think it's they know crazy. that this will be right. kind of this will, unwinding that part is going to be real painful for a housing market that is clearly already deflationary. I feel like the Fed is like galvanizing the entire world against them, probably uh, in the wrong way. Uh, there was a, a headline today from the Wall Street Journal, UN calls on Fed uh, to halt interest rate increases. Mm. Uh, is there, uh, again, see Michael, you see, Michael, the UN bought yeah, yeah, a lot of FANG yeah. stocks. I, I know we're all we're all speculating. Um, do they blink? Do they blink? Or is there, are they, are, do they think like, do they think that, here's what I suspect Jay Powell yeah. thinks, not that I know what he's thinking. Yeah, right. He must be thinking that we're so close. We're so close to like really yeah. having the desired uh, intention, whether or not they go too far and break something, we'll see. But to, to, to turn maybe dovish now and potentially unwind and have the markets soar and, and unwind all of the hard work that we've done would really be a shame. What, what, what might he be thinking here? What do they not see, What do they see that we don't? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think there are, I didn't, you know, in terms of one, I, again, I really don't envy this job. You know, this would be so hard as an economist watching these things. You know, I think I often think 
like, wow, it really will be hard to pull back on inflation. You know, inflation is very painful just watching these numbers. You know, I, I think this is really challenging. I think one of the most challenging aspects about their job is that they're not the only central bank doing this work at one time. And that's why you have people weighing in, you know. Um, but don't, the other central banks, follow they, they follow our lead, no? Not always. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I mean, our dollar is big, you know, the dollar is a big deal. So in that we all way, have to react we all to it, do but... work together for sure. Um, the, the environments are very different. Like if you think about UK and Canada, even those are way more adjustable rate mortgages. So they're much more worried, I think, in, in some ways about what's going to happen to home prices, given their monetary policy. I mean, in some ways, when you're thinking about what's going to happen now, as I said, that 30 year fix is pretty isolating because it locks you in. You know, we got a lot of homeowners that have a mortgage rate way below what the current mortgage rate is, and they keep that for 30 years. You know, they lock that in for a long time. I mean, that's what's insulating our home prices because the supply will pull back. Anyway, I'm just going back to what we I think we've already keyed on. Yeah, I don't know that I can say you know, maybe I'm just, you know, this is the economist club, but I don't know what I would do in their shoes looking at what they are looking at. I think it is a most extraordinary problem and challenge. And I, I'm sure that's a cop out. I, I really need volatility to come down from healthy mortgage markets. I'm, I'm waiting at least for us to get used to the Fed doing what they're doing, making their announcements and, you know, financial markets and Fed will hopefully get used to each other here. So even if we don't have mortgage rates, you know, able to come down significantly at the end of this, at the very least, they'll stop doing that jump. Skyler, I want I want to pivot to uh, two topics that for anyone in the housing market are really important. Um, one is taxation. And then I want to sure. ask you about I want to ask you about insurance, which I think sure. is the next shoot. That is the next inflationary shoe to drop. Oh um, everyone's rates are going way up. Reinsurance yeah. is going way up. We'll talk about that in a second. On taxation, somebody explained this to me that lives in Texas, and I thought this was really interesting. And I don't think a lot of people really understand the impact that this has on the various housing markets. Okay. Where I live, Michael and I live in the same town. We live on Long Island. Um, And where we live, if you do work to your house and you improve it, like if you add a swimming pool or a dormer or what, like almost anything, you get assessed at a higher tax rate. They're almost like – penalizing you for improving your property, which if you care about the neighborhood you live in kind of seems backwards in Texas, they have a land tax. The land tax appreciates maybe by 1% a year. You can kind of set your watch by it and you don't get taxed on any improvements that you make to the property. So as a result, cities like Austin are beautifying at a rapid rate because the land tax is slowly ticking up. But the landlords can do really nice stuff and get higher sure. rents. Sure. Do I have that right? And if I do, what do you think is the right model um, for yeah. a municipality or a state sure. to adopt? Sure. Oh, my gosh. What a funny question. So one. I'm very I'll, good at this. I'll just say as a public facing economy that there is no right model and, you know, that there'll be a special model for each. But. But. <laughs> But um, but the economist in me, and I think you hit on this, right? So just from an economist paradigm, right? What's going to make a tax more successful? What's going to be successful about it? It has less unintended consequences, right? That's what yes. our economist, you know, as an economist, we're just all about those. Yes. <laughs> you know, so 
unintended consequences, I can avoid them if the tax is less likely to impact my decisions. Um, and you're absolutely right. Economists, I mean, classic, classic economists, like we're talking super old guy economists, like no, I mean, just like 100 years ago, kind of economists would have advocated for taxes on land because it would not impact your decision making. You have, you know, it as ends an owner. Up windfall profit that has nothing to do with you doing anything. And so that's generally the argument for for those kind of things from an economist perspective. They wouldn't have unintended consequences because your choice never comes into it. Okay. Except for maybe if you uh, captured, I mean, there is, you know, capture of local, you know, land use and zoning and, you know, existing homeowners might not want more density or whatever else the, you know, the not in my backyard play, but Otherwise, there's really not a lot of there's much less impact on your decisions. Do we have to in do we have to worry as homeowners or renters or landlords? Do we have to worry about um, all of a sudden high inflation catching up to us in the form of new insurance rates? Um, because the people I talk to in property casualty are like, dude, yeah. you have no idea the things I'm hearing on my conference calls. Yeah, I th- and I think that so. Um, let me just say this is already an experience for a lot of people um, okay. in California. This is your experience in any kind of like high wildfire zone. Of course, you probably saw your insurance go up in the last two to three years significantly. Um, Florida as well, not just for like what your gut. Anyone who's not around in Florida might think, you know, oh, it's because of flooding and sea level rise and climate change. There might be a little bit of that going on, but, um, you know, actually in in Florida, you're going through where a lot of uh, Florida insurance companies, private companies are going insolvent. um, You can't provide flood insurance anymore and stay in business. Without going to the state provider, um, which is generally much more, it's really the the insurance provider of last resort, usually much more expensive. Um, And in general, um, that's, that's a challenge. So a lot of people are experiencing this. And it, if you think about, well, okay, before this pandemic crisis, you know, climate change was the crisis we were talking about. <laughs> and yeah. over the course of the past two years, we're seeing more and more reports come out of the SEC, um, out of FHA, out of FHFA. So housing, right? Re- and that's housing regulators, security regulators, you know, underwriting regulators, you know, all these regulators coming out and saying, um, these are the changes that will have to happen because of climate change. And they think a lot about insurance markets. Insurance Theoretically, though, market. this keeps housing related, shelter related inflation high. Like this yeah. is like one of those pressures that's like working against the Fed almost no matter where it takes interest rates. Yeah. And then, but this one probably is a little bit more location dependent. And there's probably a lot. What makes this really challenging is there's a lot more opacity around it, you know, Um, in terms of it, it'll be in some cases home to home, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. This will be really, this is hard. This is probably the hardest information to, to surface out if you think about it as well, because you likely have to do more fact finding uh, in order to, 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 to know, right. Contact your, you know, work with the mortgage, um, uh, company to figure it out. Right. Um, what do you need to actually qualify for this mortgage? Absolutely. Skylar, can I just tell you that you're awesome? And oh yeah. I mean, I love that. We, yeah, we sure. really, we really, the chat is going crazy. We really appreciated having an expert to talk to us about this stuff because the headlines are getting scarier and <laughs> it's nice to have some context. 
Um, we're going to do a little bit of a lightning round. We're going to have everybody throw some ticker symbols at you, and you could just okay. say buy or sell, or if you want to add some some time oh, no, frames. Oh, no, we're looking. No, I don't want to say buy or sell to anything. Right. I'm not gonna Listen, you're you're great. So Diversify. Do you... Diversify. <laughs> Good. Very, look at you. Look at you. Uh, where could people follow you for more of your commentary and insights? Do you have a blog? Do you have a Twitter? Like, oh, what do yeah. you what do you suggest? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Tell Zilla.com us. slash research is my home base uh, for sure, With and you can get data and blog posts and insights there and then you know at Skylar Olson 9 on Twitter um you know every time the Fed has an FOMC meeting I tweet it up you know so okay all right awesome so everyone go ahead and follow Dr. Skylar Olson and check out zillow.com slash research for more of her uh information we appreciate you coming on tonight thank you so much uh guys in the chat thanks for coming through great job John great job Nicole we will see you guys we're not on tomorrow I know you're going to miss us. We're going to miss you too. But New Animal Spirits Wednesday, and we will see you at the end of the week for the Compounded Friends. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody.